You've got questions, we've got answers. Do you remember that? That was an advertising slogan for a long time for Radio Shack. You've got questions, we got answers. I don't know how well that slogan worked because right now there's only one question for Radio Shack and that is where are all your stores? <laughs> what happened? I, I'm not sure that had anything to do with the slogan, but, but I, I say that to, to introduce this. When it comes to Christianity, a lot of people have a lot of questions. All of us have questions. We have really big, important questions about God and man, about life and death, about heaven and hell. We have questions about Jesus and church. And the questions that people are asking today are pretty much the same questions people have been asking for thousands of years. And the Bible's answer to those big questions is come and see you know, the very first time that Jesus ever appears in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, the very first scene for Jesus, a couple of guys ask him a question, and his answer is, come and see. Seven verses later, Nathaniel has a question about Jesus. How can this be the Messiah when he's from Nazareth? And the answer is, come and see. The women show up at the tomb, the stones rolled away, they've got a lot of questions. And the angel answers their questions by saying, Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the answer to every single question you've got. And we want to see Jesus. Because when we see Jesus, we see God. We understand God and who he is and what he's doing and what's really happening. The invitation today is to come and see Jesus party. Because our Lord loves a good party. If we're going to see Jesus for who he is, if we're going to see God the way that Jesus reveals God to us, if we're going to really understand who God is and what he's doing, we have to pay attention to the way Jesus parties. Because when we study the gospel and when we follow Jesus through the scriptures, it becomes obvious very early on that Jesus is always at a dinner party. I mean, always, every page in the Gospels, Jesus is either at a party or he just left a party or he's about to go to a party. That's Jesus. And so we see very early that Jesus is not some high-minded, stoic, silent priest lighting candles in a dark temple. That's not Jesus. Our Lord is a rabbi, a traveling rabbi with a lot of energy. And he does his best teaching and his his best pastoring, frankly, with a big group of people around a big dinner table. And he was criticized for this. Remember, they called him a drunkard. They called our Lord a glutton. One of the main things Jesus was known for is that he was always eating and drinking. And yes, there were times when Jesus went alone to the desert or went by himself on a mountaintop to pray, but it's much more typical in the Gospels for Jesus to be eating and drinking with large groups of people, eating and drinking with 5,000 people in the wilderness, eating and drinking with a couple of strangers in Emmaus, eating and drinking with 12 close friends in the upper room, eating and drinking with Levi and his friends at the tax collector's house. Eating and drinking at a picnic on the beach. Jesus was known for eating and drinking with sinners and saints and prostitutes and Pharisees and men and women. 
and Jews and Gentiles. And it's not just dinner parties. Jesus was with people all the time. Praying with people, worshiping with people, walking with people, fishing with people, praying with people, crying and laughing with people. He was at funerals and weddings with people. Jesus was very deliberate about this. He was very intentional. John 4 opens up and says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, no, that's not true. Nobody ever had to go through Samaria. In fact, most people in Jesus' situation, they went out of their way to avoid Samaria. But our Lord Jesus went to Samaria purposefully so he could engage that woman at the well and so he could spend two days with her and with her entire village. And after that two days, everybody in that village declared, this is the Savior of the world. And so the first thing we see when Jesus parties, and this is the really obvious thing, is that Jesus is a people person. Jesus is a supremely social and communal person. Whatever it was the Father sent Jesus to do, Jesus had no intention of doing it by himself. Jesus is a people person. And Jesus said it, right? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. And we know this because the very first ever communion meal back in Exodus 24 God wants to be with his people. And so he comes to his people on the mountain. He comes to be near them. He wants to be with his people. And Moses is sprinkling blood on the people to clean them. In verse 8, Moses says, This is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you. And then the people go up on the mountain and they see God. Verse, verses 10 and 11, the Bible has to say it twice because it is so astounding. They saw God and they ate and drank. But that's not enough for our God. It's not close enough. It's not near enough. It's not physical. And so our God comes to us in the physical flesh and blood of our physical humanity. And now God in Christ is eating and drinking with everybody in person all the time at Zacchaeus's house with all of his friends at Mary and Martha's house with their whole community there in Bethany with members of the Sanhedrin and with sinners in the streets. God in Christ is now eating and drinking with everybody together in person. And Jesus says, this is the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. The big wedding feast. The great end time banquet. This is the kingdom of God. Eating and drinking with God. And so that's the second thing that Jesus is showing us with these dinner parties. The kingdom of God is a community of people people. In Luke chapter... Oh... Man, every other chapter, every chapter there's a meal. But, but all of these dinner parties, I think they remind us that we are living the way God created us to live. We're living the way God has saved us and called us to live. Not when we're by ourselves, not when we're in isolation, not when we're in solitary confinement, but when we are living with each other in community. God has saved us and called us to live and to serve and to worship with one another. Think about it. Every single time anybody ever asked Jesus, what's the number one greatest command? He never went there. He always said, no, there's two. 
Well, no, which one's best? No, no, there's two. You love God with everything you've got and you love your neighbor the same way. It's almost like you can't have one without the other. These two go hand in hand. And so we need God, yes, but we so desperately need each other. The kingdom of God is a community. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. It's impossible. You can't. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. That is a contradiction in terms. That's an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp and government intelligence. Those two words, they cancel each other out. Solitary Christian. No such thing. You can't fight a civil war. You can't have open secrets. There's no such thing as a paid volunteer. And there's no such thing as a Christian by herself. You know, according to all the research that's out there, and since the pandemic over the last two years, the research has become even more acute. That you are better off physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, you are better off, you'll live longer, you'll be healthier, and you'll have fewer issues if you're with people than if you're by yourself. That's what all the research shows. You are truly better off health-wise eating a donut with a group of close friends than eating broccoli by yourself. That's a theology I can embrace, amen? Yeah, we get that, right? We understand that. That's what Jesus is showing us with these dinner parties. The kingdom of God is lived and it's practiced and it's experienced in community with other people. At the end of Luke 5, this is uh, Jesus at a great banquet is what it says. He's at Levi's house and there's a large crowd of tax collectors and others, it says, eating with them. And in verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complain, it says. They complain to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. Notice the disciples didn't say a word. Jesus jumped in and he said it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick i've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance well now that they've been engaged the pharisees are talking to jesus directly and they say john's disciples often fast and pray and so do our disciples fast and pray but your disciples jesus they go on eating and drinking. Look, they're saying we know john's disciples are religious. We can tell. Look how miserable they are. Look at the sour look on their faces. They're mad at something. They've got to be religious people, right? But your disciples, Jesus, they just keep on eating and drinking. What, what gives? And Jesus says in verse 34, he says, look, when the groom shows up, the wedding guest party. God himself has come to the banquet and he's sitting at your table. Now is not the time to fast. Now is not the time to be miserable or to be by yourself. Now is the time to celebrate. God's promises are coming true. God himself is now dwelling with his people, which he always promised he would do. And listen, there is a time for quiet introspection. There is a time for private reflection and for solitary moments between just you and God. But brothers and sisters, can I suggest that is not during the Lord's Supper. It's not during the meal. It's never around the table. When we're around the table with our Lord Jesus, 
on his day, at his table, when he's the one serving the meal? That is a party, is what the Bible says. That's a celebration. And so, I didn't know if I was going to do this or not. I am going to do this. My pants are a little wet because of the baptism. And it'd be in my own best interest for chafing reasons maybe to cut this part of the sermon and move on to the next point. But um, I need to say this. I want to say this. And I want you to receive this in the love and the grace that I intended. Okay? You ready? Um, Because of the two points we've already made about Jesus' parties and what it means for the community of God's people to be together. We need everybody in this church family, in this room, around the table, together. We need that. Um, In March of 2020, we started live streaming our Sunday morning assemblies as a temporary emergency procedure during a national lockdown. And generally speaking, all churches did it. And we can debate whether that was the right thing to do or not, but we did it so that at least we could sing and pray, at least we could hear a sermon, at least we could share the Lord's Supper together in a virtual gathering. And we understood that we are all of us spiritually connected. And I do believe it was appropriate and it was good in what at the time was an unprecedented emergency situation. It was good. But now, nearly two years later, Church online has become an acceptable and even sanctioned option. And the issue for us is that church online is not church. Now, I want you to hear me out, okay? Church online is something, certainly, and it's not awful. It's not bad, of course, but it's not church. It's not close enough. It's not near. It's not with. It's not physical. By the very definition of the Greek word that we translate church, church is a physical assembly, a flesh and blood people coming together in one place for one common purpose. It's real physical people gathering to worship God and to serve one another. It is men and women and children in the same place at the same time being transformed together by God's Holy Spirit as we accept and forgive and bear with and love one another in the name and in the manner of Jesus. Listen, The Christian faith is an incarnational faith in our incarnational Lord. God did not come to us virtually. God did not send us a text or a video. God sent us his son. Our spiritual connections, hear me on this, they are real and they are important. And our spiritual connections do transcend time and space. But our spiritual connections are incomplete without our physical connections. Can you imagine being married and never coming home to your spouse? I'll just call her every night. I promise I'll talk to her every day on the phone. Can you do that? Yeah, it's the same thing. Or can you imagine telling your kids and your grandkids at Christmas time, you know what, don't bother coming over for Christmas. We can do the lunch and we can open gifts online. Let's just Zoom Christmas this year. Can you do that? Yeah, it's the same thing. Church, we know it's not the same thing. 
It is not the same thing. Church online is a disembodied virtual thing. Again, it's not bad, but it's not church. And for some of us, I know the live streamed service is vital. The members of our church family who are shut in because of their age or because of their health, our brothers and sisters who get sick and can't be here at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, our people uh, in our family who work and can't be here at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, I think that the live stream is critical for them and we're gonna keep doing it and we're gonna keep doing it very well for them. I also think our live stream service can be a very important on-ramp for people in our city. I think folks in Midland, this can be an initial introduction to our God and to his people here at GCR. I think that's good. But if you're going to work and you're going to the grocery store and to the gym, and if you're going to basketball games and out to eat, why are you doing church online? Now, I'm not trying to shame anybody, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Um, if you are hearing it that way and if you're sensing it and feeling it that way, then I have done a terrible job of communicating this morning and I beg your forgiveness. What I want to do is just give you something serious to think about and pray about and I also want to offer an invitation to you. It's an invitation. Don't let church online be the extent of your connections to God and to his people. Come join us on Sunday mornings in this room around our Lord's meal together and experience and participate in everything that God wants for you through the body of Christ. Thank you for hearing me out on that. All right, let's, uh, I don't know. So that makes me nervous because I don't know why you're clapping. And there's room for conversation on this, but man, it's vital. It's critical. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, okay, here's the third thing, and we've got four, so we're almost there. Around the table with Jesus is where we experience the current realities of the kingdom of God. These are the reasons that being together is so important. In uh, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is at this dinner party at Simon's house. This is where he gets called a glutton and a drunk. And no sooner had they said grace than this sinful woman of the city shows up. And she's making quite a scene. She lets her hair down. And that meant back then what it still means today. And she's crying and she's worshiping Jesus. And the, the guests are beginning to murmur. They're beginning to gossip, you know. Who is this woman? What is she doing here? I'm sure Simon's wife had the same question for him. What is she doing here? And then Jesus says, verse 41, he says, hey, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus says, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them, the one who owed a lot, the one who owed a little, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one will love him more? Simon replied, I guess the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I imagine Simon, do I see her? Yes, I see her. Who doesn't see her? She's in the middle of my party. She's ruining everything. Jesus says, no, no, no. Do you see this woman? Her sins, which are great, no doubt, have been forgiven. Everything's been wiped clean. She's been given a new start and a new life and a new identity and a new belonging. And her gratitude is extravagant. She's been forgiven. She's been healed. She's been welcomed. She has been accepted as belonging to God and belonging to God's people. And she experiences those realities at dinner with Jesus. Luke chapter 14. There's a bunch of these. Jesus is having dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee, it says. And he was being carefully watched. You ever gone to church and feel like you're being carefully watched? Like there's people in the room just watching you, waiting for you to mess up. You ever feel that way? Jesus Christ knows exactly how you feel because it happened to him all the time. And shame on us for doing that kind of watching. And we should feel guilty about that. But Jesus notices there's a sick man there at the table and he heals this guy and then he uses this guy as a sermon illustration. Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Well, that's awkward. Because I imagine everybody's looking around the table going, wait a second, these are my friends. These are my brothers and my family and my rich, bougie neighbors. This, this is exactly who's at the table. Why does it make any sense to invite an outsider to dinner? And you can kind of hear a fork scrape across a plate. And in the background, you can kind of hear a guy cough. <coughs> and then finally, just to break the silence, some random guy just blurts out, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, okay, that, that's nice. I like that. But look, and Jesus starts to tell another story in verse 17. This guy's holding a banquet and he says, all things are ready. Come to the feast. That's in verse 17. And that's King James. All things are ready. Verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. And here's the same guest list. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Jesus is telling us the kingdom of God is a party with a bunch of losers, a bunch of outsiders. All the marginalized people, God's idea of a great time is eating and drinking with people you wouldn't be caught dead with on a Saturday night. Jesus is showing us here, listen, here's the point. We are all the losers. All of us are the outsiders gathered together with Jesus and with one another at his table. Listen, when we come to the table, all of us are coming to the table with a limp. All of us are coming with a wound. We're coming with pain. All of us are coming to the table with dysfunction 
and disability, we're broken. We're all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of our Father. And all of us are being saved together by his lavish grace. You know, I've heard all my life, the ground is level at the cross, and it is. But around God's table, every seat is the same seat with the same view. They're all the same. And this is what we see when we see Jesus' party. Jesus is showing us this is the goal. This is what God is after. He is showing us this is what salvation is all about. God eating and drinking together with his people. Here's the last one, Luke 22. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 29, he says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. Why, Jesus? Why are you conferring a kingdom on us? So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Look, sharing a meal together means there's communion. There's relationship. You've got things in common. There's, there's acceptance and understanding and trust and friendship around a table. You know this at lunch today when you're all dipping your chips into that same bowl of salsa. That means all the barriers are down. We understand each other. We're friends. We're family together. And that's what God wants with us. When God eats and drinks with people, this is God inviting us into relationship with him. This is God in the flesh telling us and showing us that we are accepted. We are loved and we belong with him and with each other. And church, that's beautiful. Around the table with Jesus is where we experience the current realities of the kingdom of God. And here's the last thing. Around the table with Jesus is where we anticipate the coming promises of the kingdom of God. Eating and drinking together with God, that's the goal from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion through the Psalms and the prophets, all through Jesus and Paul and the church, all the way through the end of Revelation. This has always been the goal with God. Heaven is the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? That's how God and Christ and all the scriptures describe heaven. It's the coming banquet. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is sitting around a table, of course, when he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so what we do when we're coming in here together on Sunday mornings, what we do in here, this is party practice. This is like the chips and hot sauce before the fajitas and enchiladas. We're getting ready. When we eat and drink together in here around our Lord's table, we're getting ready for the party. We're thinking about it. We're expecting it. We're anticipating it. And we're practicing what that's going to be like. Right before his death, Jesus promised he would eat and drink with us in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, that's today. That's right now. When we take our places at the table, we realize that the living and reigning Jesus Christ is with us. He warms our hearts with his truth. He comforts us with his presence. He assures us with his peace. And you know what that does for us at the table? It ends all of our anxieties. It answers all of our questions about whether God really is doing what he promised he would do and whether his salvation plan is really coming to fruition. The table time answers that for us. Jesus is alive and he's not up there. He is with me. 
here around this table. And so whatever God said he was going to do for me through Jesus, it's true. It's coming true. It's happening right now and it's about to happen. And what we're doing around here, in here, is getting ready for it. Practicing it. Expecting it. We know that someday there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more sin, no more barriers between us, no more hurdles between us and God. Someday everything is going to be made right. Everything that's broken is going to be fixed someday. And when we're in here eating together, we get a glimpse. We get just a little peek. But we know that that day is really coming. So around the table, when Jesus is with us, when he really is with us, he doesn't meet us at the table to shame us. You know, Jesus isn't saying, look what I had to do for you. You better be grateful. That's not it. It's his gift to us. This sacred time and this sacred place when we're with him and with one another where God through Christ accepts us and forgives us and, and where we accept and forgive one another. And it's not, I had to die for you. You better remember it. That's not what it is. It's, I love you and I want to eat with you. It's an invitation. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on with you. I don't know exactly where you are today. I don't know where you're limping. I don't know where your pain is. I don't know about your wound. Maybe you're experiencing some grief today. Maybe, maybe some dreams of yours have been dashed. Maybe you've been numb for so long that you're just used to it. Like you're just... You're just in a fog, you know, and you're just, maybe you've given in and you've almost given up. If you would accept the invitation to the Lord's table, if you would take your place and participate in this holy meal, and if you would listen for his voice, and if you would pay attention to his leading, if you would be comforted in the warmth of his presence, I think you'll discover that this meal is the place where we express but also experience everything it means. Everything about Jesus that just grabs us and holds us in the middle of whatever's wrong with us and whatever's wrong with the world. That's what we experience at the meal together.